invite you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. And let's ask the Lord to guide our time in His Word. Gracious Father, we approach Your throne today in the In the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord and our King, we come today to ask for help, help in understanding your word, help in taking what we understand and applying it to our lives, living it out. That our lives might reflect the glory that you deserve. That our words might be used by you to bring encouragement to others. That our words might be used to proclaim the life-saving message of the gospel. And our words might be used in prayer to invite you to do a mighty work. Lord, take us on the journey that today and this week are for us and use us to accomplish the purpose for which you've set us out to do. Use your word today to nourish our souls that we might be prepared to follow Christ. It's in his name again we pray. Amen. Last week, we started on this expedition in looking at the the book of Genesis. And uh, Genesis is... Divided into two main sections, as we, we talked last time. The first section, chapters 1 through 11, is, it could be, could be um, summarized by four key events. And then the last section, chapters 12 through chapter 50, we see four key individuals. In those four Uh, The first chapters of 1 through 11, those four events are creation, the fall, the flood, and the nations. That is, the scattering of the nations. Actually, even the creating of the nations at the Tower of Babel, where God confused their language and caused them to separate and fill the earth. And then in the last half, you have these four key individuals, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph, and their lives are unfolded for us in those chapters. In the first section, you have a focus on the whole of the human race, and in the last section, you have a focus on the chosen race and this people that would become a nation. We zeroed in on chapter 12, where we see the call of Abraham, where God called him to go to a land he would show him, and to be a blessing. 
And God promised that through his seed then, he would bless all the nations of the earth. You see, as we know history, uh, the biblical history, we see that that seed was Jesus. And Jesus, through his work on the cross and through his resurrection, has provided the greatest blessing for all the nations of the earth. And that is our salvation. So we see the seeds of all of that coming from the book of Genesis. And just as Abraham was called to go and be, you and I are called to go and be. We're to go into this world and be a blessing. To allow God to use us to bless other people. Primarily, that is by living out and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. By encouraging people and helping them in the journey through discipleship and mentoring and, and praying and, and being in relationship with people. This requires faith and obedience. It required faith and obedience of Abraham. It requires faith and obedience of us. Well, now we come to the book of, Gen of Exodus, the second book. And uh, I want to read to you a survey of Exodus that uh, comes from the book Talk Through the Bible, which comes from the ministry Walk Through the Bible. And uh, this is written by Bruce Wilkinson and Kenneth Boa. And, and uh, just for transparency's sake, I'm going to be, uh, as I did last week, really drawing upon um, from this book just to, to help me to, to not have to do all the work to, to put a survey together. And so they do a great job of summarizing uh, these things. And so I'm, I'm going to read from, from their book. Uh, just the summary of the book of Exodus, and then we're going to look at the, the chart that I have there and, and kind of fill that out. But I say this, Exodus abounds with God's powerful redemptive acts on behalf of His oppressed people. It begins in pain and ends in liberation. It moves from groaning of the people to the glory of God. It's the continuation of the story that begins in Genesis with 70 descendants of Jacob who moved from Canaan to Egypt. And they've multiplied under adverse conditions to a, a multitude of over 2 million people. When the Israelites finally turn to God for deliverance from their bondage, God quickly responds by redeeming them with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. God faithfully fulfills His promise made to Abraham centuries before. And as we see in our chart, the book is divided into two main sections. You've got the redemption of Israel, and you've got the revelation to Israel. And they, they, they say this about the redemption. After four centuries of slavery, the people of Israel cry to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for deliverance. God has already prepared Moses for this very purpose and commissioned him at the burning bush to stand before Pharaoh at the, as the advocate for Israel. However, Pharaoh hardens his heart. Who is this Lord that I should obey his voice and let his people go? God soon reveals himself to Pharaoh through a series of object lessons. Ten plagues. These plagues grow in severity until the tenth begin, uh, brings about the death to the firstborn of every household of Egypt, both man and beast. Israel is redeemed through this plague by means of the Passover lamb. The Israelites' faith in God at this point becomes the basis 
for their national redemption. And as they leave Egypt, God guides them by a pillar of fire and smoke and saves them from Egypt's pursuing army through the miraculous crossing of the, the Red Sea. In the wilderness, He protects and sustains them through their journey. So in this first 18 chapters, you go from uh, a people of 70 who came from, uh, from Israel to Egypt to be spared from the famine and Joseph puts them in the land of Goshen, which is a land that was good for the raising of, of, uh, of, of livestock because they were shepherds. And from there, God creates a nation of over 2 million people in the womb of Egypt over 400 and some years. And then he raises up the deliverer, Moses, who will lead them out. Then you have the second section chapters 19 through 40, the revelation to Israel. They write this, Now that the people have experienced God's deliverance, guidance, and protection, they are ready to be taught what God expects of them. The redeemed people must now be set apart to walk with God. This is why the emphasis moves from narration in chapters 1 through 18 to legislation in chapters 19 to 40. On Mount Sinai, Moses receives God's moral, civil, and ceremonial laws, as well as the pattern for the tabernacle to be built in the wilderness. After God judges the people for their worship of the golden calf, the tabernacle is constructed and consecrated. It is a building of beauty in, in the barren land and reveals much about the person of God and the way of redemption. So here in this second section we have now they've been brought to the very brink of Mount Sinai. And now Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days to receive instruction from the Lord. And in just 40 days of him being on the mountain, the people wonder, what happened to Moses? And so they tell Aaron, we want to we make a God for ourselves. And so they craft this golden calf and begin worshiping it. 40 days. You can't wait 40 days, right? And then Moses comes down with the two tablets God has written the, the commandments on, and he was so angry he threw them on the ground. They broke, and he judged the people and went back on the mountain for 40 more days. God gave him two new tablets uh, with the commandments and all these instructions. And then he tells them, here's what God wants of us. And last night we talked about about from Exodus uh, 35 and 36, how Moses went to the people and said, we need to take up a, a contribution. All the, the money that's needed and all the materials that are needed and all the skilled labors that are needed to construct this tabernacle. And we read in there of how their hearts were willing and they kept giving and they kept giving and they kept giving and they kept coming and doing their part and working and, and sewing. The women were sewing all the things. The, the men were putting it all together and building it and, and all of this. It got to the point where they had more than enough and Moses had to tell them, stop giving. And they constructed a tabernacle. And at the end of Exodus, we see the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God fills the tabernacle in the midst of the people out in the wilderness. As we talked last night, uh, just thinking about the paying off of our mortgage, how in some ways what God did in Israel um, with the people who had just 
willing hearts to, to bring all that they had to give and to give and to give for this. Now, we have a, a little picture of that in, in our midst of, you know, our paying off the mortgage wasn't, wasn't because we, we crafted some, some uh, uh, capital campaign and we said, well, this is what we're going to do and, and we need you to give and we need you to give and we need you to give. And nothing like that. We just simply said, here we have this. We're going to pay it off as God provides. And God works faithfully through faithful people with willing hearts to say, I'm going to keep giving. And as the money came in, we paid it down, and we paid it down, and we were able to pay it off so quickly. Because God faithfully works through faithful people with willing hearts. That's what they were doing in the wilderness. That's what God does even today with people who are willing to say, God, here I am, use me. And so this is what was going on. They had a little, a little blip. Well, it was a pretty big blip. This golden calf they began to worship. God dealt with it. But God, but God forgave and God continued to move in their midst. Well, let's focus now our attention on one section in this book, chapter 12. Now, just understand that even though we look at 12 in Genesis and 12 in Exodus, that's not going to be the pattern throughout. Um, but today, we're looking at chapter 12 of Exodus because in this section, we have what could possibly be the most important narration in Israel's history. This issue of the Passover and the Passover lamb portrays for us so beautifully, intentionally by God, what He was going to do in the fullness of time with His Son Jesus, who would be, come, our Passover Lamb. The imagery is so beautiful here. And, and God intended for this to be a continual memorial. Because He wanted to continue to paint this picture to generation after generation after generation to prepare the way for the coming of His Passover Lamb who would take away the sins of the world. So it's important for us to not only see what went on here, but to see the correlation. So we're going to see how Jesus fulfills the Passover Lamb. I'm going to read from Gen uh, Exodus chapter 12, verses 1-14. through 14. This is the instruction of Moses to the people of what they were to do. The first nine plagues have already happened. The tenth is about to happen, the, the, the death of the firstborn. And this is God's provision for His people to be spared from judgment. It says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house to take one according to the number of the persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. 
And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. And they shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire. And they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning. But whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn it with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you while I strike the land of Egypt. Now this day will be a memorial to you. And you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Instructions given to the people of how they were to be spared from this last plague, this judgment of God. I want, to sh I want to point out three ways in which Jesus fulfills the Passover lamb. Number one, Jesus fulfills the timetable of the Passover lamb. There, there is a time frame that God gives here. He reestablishes the beginning of their year. At this, this moment, and this, um, uh, this month in the Jewish calendar was the month Nisan. What he says is that on the tenth day of this month of Nisan, you were to take a lamb and you were to bring it into the household on the tenth day. So we see that the lamb was chosen on the tenth of Nisan. It was selected. It was brought into the home and examined to see and to make sure it was unblemished. As we think about Jesus and His entry into Jerusalem, what we call the, the triumphal entry, we celebrate Palm Sunday, it is believed by many scholars that Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was not on a Sunday as we celebrate, but actually on a Monday. I want to read from uh, John MacArthur's commentary as he kind of lays this out. He said it was probably Monday, the next day, uh, after the crowd visited him in Bethany, that Jesus came to Bethphage and prepared to enter Jerusalem through the east gate of the city. And according to this chronology, the triumphal entry was on a Monday rather than on traditionally what we think of Palm Sunday. This chronology also eliminates the problem of what is often referred to as the Silent Wednesday, so-called because the Gospel accounts would have no record of Jesus' activities on the Wednesday if the triumphal entry had been on Sunday. In what was by far the most 
momentous week of Jesus' ministry, such a gap is difficult to explain. Additional support for a Monday triumphal entry is found in the Mosaic requirement that sacrificial lambs for Passover were to be selected on the 10th day of the first month, originally called Abib, but now after the exile called Nisan, and kept into the household until sacrificed on the 14th. In the year Jesus was crucified, whether taken as A.D. 30 or A.D. 33, and again, scholars are, are not 100% sure which of those years, but in either case, the 10th of Nisan was the Monday of Passover week. If Jesus entered Jerusalem triumphantly on Monday, he was received into the hearts of the Jewish people as a nation, much as a family received the sacrificial lamb into the home. In so doing, our Lord would have fulfilled the Passover symbolism, even in that small detail, being received by the people on the 10th of Nisan. In either case, Jesus, as he came into Jerusalem, was presenting himself to the people as their Passover lamb. And then secondly, we see that the lamb was to be killed on the 14th day of that same month. Brought in on the 10th was to be slaughtered on the 14th day of the month, right? Verse 6, keep it until the 14th day of that same month. The whole assembly, the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Twilight, what is twilight? It, is, it means between two evenings, sometimes before nightfall of that day. Jesus was crucified on the 14th of Nisan. According to Jewish scholars, the traditional time of slaying the Passover lamb was the ninth hour of the day on the 14th day of Nisan, which was 3 p.m., what we would consider 3, 3 o'clock, 3 p.m. Listen to what the Scripture says in Luke 23, 44 to 46. This is speaking of Jesus as He hung on the cross. It was now about the sixth hour, which was noon. And darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, 3 p.m. The sun being obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus gave up his spirit and breathed his last on the ninth hour, on the 14th day of Nisan. At the very moment that the, the Passover lambs were being slaughtered all throughout Jerusalem. To celebrate the Passover. And Jesus was fulfilling it in their midst. The very details of this, Jesus fulfilled. So he fulfilled the timetable. Secondly, Jesus fulfills the characteristics of the Passover. There are two characteristics. One mentioned in what we read and one a little later in the chapter. But the first is that it must be an unblemished male. A lamb must be an unblemished male. Verse 5. This lamb that you bring into your home on the tenth day, right? Your lamb shall be an unblemished male a year old. 
What does the Scripture say about Jesus? 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19 says this, Peter writing about Jesus, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Second Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes, He, being God the Father, made Him the Son who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. 1 Peter 2.22, speaking of Jesus, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth. 1 John 3.5, And you know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. The Scripture is very, very clear about Jesus being the unblemished. And then secondly, we see in, in verse 46 of chapter 12 of Exodus, as, it, as this thing was happening, we're told, it says it is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to bring forth any flesh outside of the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. And so the lamb was not to have a broken bone. Again, what do we know about Jesus? Well, in John chapter 19, as Jesus hung on the cross, and after He breathed His last and cried, it is finished, giving up His Spirit, we read in John chapter 19, verse 31 and following, the Jews therefore, because it was the day of preparation so that the bodies should not remain on the cross of the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man and the other man who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately there came out blood and water. And he, and he who had seen this had borne... Uh, he who has seen has borne witness, and his witness is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass that the Scripture might be fulfilled, not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, Scripture says, they sh look on him whom they pierced. All of this is fulfillment of Scripture. Fulfilling what God told Israel centuries before. Jesus fulfills to that kind of detail. They were going to break their... That's what they did to speed up the process because the legs would push up and keep the person alive on the cross. And so they would break the legs so they couldn't do that. And the weight would then cause them to die quicker. Jesus gave up His Spirit. He died on His own time frame. And there was no need to break His legs in fulfillment of, again, these Scriptures. 
This is no coincidence. This is the plan of God from the very beginning. Then we come thirdly to the fulfillment, I'm sorry, to Jesus fulfilling the application of the Passover lamb. He was welcomed in at the beginning of the week, most likely on the 10th of Nisan. He was crucified on the 14th of Nisan at twilight at the very moment the Passover lambs were being crucified. Fulfilling all of that, and now we see that He fulfills the application. The blood of the Passover lamb was a covering. They took it and they put it on the doorposts and the lentils of the door. Look at chapter 12 of Exodus, verses 21 through 23, where we see them actually doing it. It says, And the Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go, take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. And you shall take the bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that's in the basin to the lentil and the doorpost. And none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through and smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come in to your houses to smite you. Leviticus 17.11 tells us about the sacrifices. It says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. It goes on to say, and I've given it to you uh, on the altar to make atonement for your sins, for it is the blood by reason of a life that makes atonement. It was necessary for the blood of the Lamb to be shed because the blood was the indication of the sacrifice and God's destroying spirit passed over them because of the blood. And all who were covered under that blood in the home were safe from the judgment. What an incredible picture God was giving to the nation. Apostle Paul tells the Ephesians, in Ephesians 1.7, in Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespass according to the riches of His grace. Jesus is the Passover lamb. His blood is the covering over you and I. When John the Baptist was speaking to his disciples about Jesus, Jesus came walking by. He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the fulfillment of what went on in that day. What God did for the nation to deliver them from bondage and slavery to Egypt, God has done through His Son and His blood that was shed on the cross to deliver us from the bondage of slavery to sin. To deliver us. To redeem us. In Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah writes about this coming Messiah. And as I read the, I'm just read three verses, verses four through six. As I read this, notice how many times the pronoun is used that refers to you and I, our 
we, us. Speaking about this sacrificial um, lamb who would come, who obviously was Jesus in fulfillment. Surely our griefs he himself bore. Our sorrows he carried. Yet we, estreamed, we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. A chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. It was our sin, our need, it was our iniquities that fell on him. The people of Israel deserved the punishment of God for their sin. We deserve the punishment of God for ours. God provided a way to be covered through the blood of the Lamb. God has provided the way for us to be covered through the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus. And just as the blood had to be applied in order for it to have effect, they had to take that hyssop, the branches, and they had to dip it in the blood, and they just put it on the doorpost. And they needed to stay inside the house. We need to apply the blood of Jesus to our life. Jesus did the work. He accomplished it on the cross. He shed His blood as a sacrifice for us to pay the price, to satisfy the wrath of God against sin. We've got to apply the blood to our own lives. We do this by faith. We stay in the house by faith. We believe that Jesus is the Passover Lamb. His blood is enough. And we are in Him. Secure in Him by faith. We trust in Him just as they trusted in the blood. Can you imagine being those people that night? You don't have a history of understanding all this stuff. And Moses says, here's what you need to do. Take a lamb into your home. Make sure it's unblemished. On the 14th day, we slaughter it. You take that blood and you put it on the doorpost of your house and stay in the house. Okay, that sounds simple enough. And you're sitting in your house and you're hearing what's going on outside of your house. You're hearing the weeping and the wailing of families because death has visited the house that very night in those hours. And you're wondering, can I trust the blood of a lamb that's on the doorpost? What is preventing that spirit from coming into our house and taking our firstborn? I've got to believe the Word of God when He says the blood is sufficient. 
Bible is very clear. The blood of the Lamb of God is sufficient for you and me. What Jesus did on that cross was not just an act in time and space, though it was. It was a transaction in all of heaven for all of eternity, for you and me. For everyone who will apply the blood to their own life, who will say, I believe the Word of God that says Jesus is enough. And I apply it by faith, trusting Jesus. And I'm going to stay in Him. And I believe that when death knocks at my door, I know where I'm going to be. I know because I trust God. I trust in the work that God has done through the Lamb and the blood that was shed for me. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you are saved through faith. God's grace, making provision, provides salvation through faith. Your response of faith applying the blood. And it's not of yourselves. It's God's gift, not a result of works that no one should boast. They did nothing to earn God's saving grace. But obey God's Word and put the blood where it was supposed to be. We do nothing to earn God's saving grace, but apply the blood by faith to our life, as God's Word tells us. And because of that, we are saved from the wrath of God against sin. In Romans chapter 5, verse 9, again, Paul talking about the love of God which was on display toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The next verse, verse 9, he says, Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 Paul saying, We wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. We are saved from God's just wrath on sin because of the blood of His Passover Lamb, Jesus, we have applied to our life by faith. Jesus is our Passover lamb. The other thing about the application of this is important for us as we go back to verse 2 of chapter 12 of Exodus. We see that this month, he says, shall be the beginning of months. The first month of the year for you. The Passover marked a new beginning. It's a new beginning. 400 years of living in slavery to Egypt. And now, a 
new beginning, a fresh start. When Christ invades your life through the gospel and you apply the blood by faith in response to that truth, the Bible tells us we begin new. We're a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, the old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. We start new. It's a new beginning. A fresh start. Sometimes we think that our past keeps us from having a relationship with God. There's nothing. That can keep you from the love of God. He's already displayed it. He's already demonstrated it. He's already made the sacrifice. He calls us to apply it personally, individually to our life. We can't expect that the faith of someone else is going to be enough for us. It doesn't work that way. The faith of our parents or our grandparents. No, it's the faith of you and I, individuals. Someone said there's no grandchildren in heaven, if you will. Because we all have to come to God. And we are children of God ourselves. It's a new beginning, a fresh start. We start this journey of now being walking in a relationship with God. This is what He did with Israel. They had no relationship with God up to this point as a nation. God established the covenant with Abraham. He said, this is what I'm going to do. But they were, they were on their own, doing their own thing. They did not, until they were so oppressed, they cried out to God. And God said, okay, now's the time. I will bring forth a deliverer, and he will deliver my people out. And we will start this journey of a relationship with this nation from this point on. And God has done that with us. Starting a relationship. God gave them instructions. This is how you live as my people. He gave them the, and the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are, are a beautiful picture for us of loving God and loving people because the first half of the commandments are all about loving God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself graven images. Right? Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath. These are all relational issues between us and God. And then the last portion of them, about how we treat our parents, uh, how we uh, treat one another. We don't commit adultery. We don't steal. We don't, com uh, we don't murder. We don't uh, bear false witness. We don't covet. We don't do those things because it hurts people. This is how we relate to people. And so what did Jesus say when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. First part of the commandments. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. The second part. This, God says, this is how I want you to walk in relationship with me and with one another. He started this journey as a nation. We start this journey as we walk with God when we come to know Christ. A journey of walking with God, loving God, and loving others. 
He established them as a nation so that they could be the witness and testimony to the rest of the world. He established us as the church to be a witness and a testimony to the rest of the world. God's grace and mercy. They were a family together to encourage each other in this journey, to worship together, to serve together. God has established the church and local assemblies of that church to worship together, to encourage each other, to walk through life together, to serve together. Last night was a, a great opportunity for those of us who were here last night just to gather together and just to fellowship, to share, to celebrate, to sing together. It was a beautiful microcosm right, of what the church is. A group of believers who are in this together. Journeying together. Sharing together, encouraging one another, celebrating together the work of God. God established this Passover and the celebration of it as a permanent ordinance. Verse 14. He says, I want you to do this on this day of every year, on the, four, on the tenth day of the first month of the year, bring the lamb into the home. On the 14th day at twilight, slaughter it, and then have this meal, and have this celebration throughout your generations. The permanent ordinance. Why? Because God wanted them from generation to generation to generation to understand what God had done for them so that they would be ready when the time is, when the fullness of time came, when he would bring forth the perfect lamb, the Passover lamb of God, into this world to take away the sins of the world, that they would recognize him. Because he fulfilled all of this imagery. But they didn't. They didn't see it. They didn't recognize him. And this is why in Luke chapter uh, 19 that Jesus, after He rode into Jerusalem, fulfilling the, the, the imagery right, of the Lamb who was coming in, presenting Himself to them, this is why we read these words in Luke 19, 41-44. Jesus, uh, and He approached, He saw the city, and He wept over it saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes. For the day shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground, your children within you, and they will not leave you one, you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. They didn't know that the Passover lamb had come into the house didn't recognize it. John chapter 1 tells us he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, 
to those he gave a right to become children of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's you and me. We're welcomed into this. Don't miss it. Jesus has come. He has offered himself. The blood has already been shed. Apply it by faith and then begin to live out a life of loving God and loving others. That's the call. Father, we today want to thank you. Thank you for what you did for Israel so dramatically delivering them from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. The imagery that was fulfilled in Christ that is revealed to us in Scripture so that we recognize Jesus is the one. He's the final sacrifice who fulfilled this completely. The unblemished Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lord, I pray if there's somebody who is hearing this today that they would and they don't have a relationship with you yet that they would understand it's as simple as taking the blood and applying it to the doorposts. We do this by faith. We believe on Christ. We believe He is the Passover Lamb. He is the sufficient sacrifice. His blood is enough. And God, you satisfied with it. And you raised Him from the dead as an indication of that. By faith, we trust that reality. And we are continuing to entrust ourselves to Him. 